Hey, today our guest will be Dr. Frida Bush, CEO of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health and co-author of two books, Hooked and Girls Uncovered. And Neil Woodall, a fitness trainer who turned his life around when he found the strength in weakness. And we'll also ch- chat with the, about the latest headlines in the weekend roundup right after the break and get your feedback to our question of the day. What do you remember being told as a teen that you found out was totally true or untrue? Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email me at Marshall at MPB Online. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We'll be right back after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Our guests today are Dr. Frida Bush, and on the phone we will have Mr. Neil Woodall. Hey, Dr. Bush is the CEO of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health in high demand as a speaker as well, especially in the fields of adolescent sexuality, sexually transmitted diseases, and social behavior education. She will also discuss her books, Hooked and Girls Uncovered. Hey, Neil lives in Covington, Louisiana, but he used to live here in Mississippi and owns Hard Knocks Sports and Fitness. He also has served as a consultant for COPAC, a drug and alcohol treatment facility in Brandon, Mississippi, where he helped people discover the power to turn their lives around just like he he did. He's got an amazing story. He used to be my trainer. I know a lot about Neil. Neil is one of the most um, inspirational people you will come across, and his story is incredibly powerful. As well, I've got my book club feature. We're going to bring that back, and also a weekly challenge. We're going to have that coming up later on the show as well. Hey, don't forget, we're looking forward to your feedback on our question of the day. And this is a good one because, frankly, um, when I saw this question today, my first thought was, well, I can name about six or seven things that would be a good answer on this one. What do you remember being told as a teen that you found out was totally true or untrue? Well, I, I, yeah, I already put it on social media. <laughs> I mean, it's lit up. I mean, people are you know, less of like, you know, like that would need algebra or, you know, stuff like that. For me, when I was a junior, I was made the cartoonist for the school newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, for obvious reasons, I guess I have skills. Uh, but I wrote an article for the paper, and my advisor looked at me and said, you can't write. Oh, my. Oh and my. you know what? I believed her and didn't write for years. Now I write. I've, I've come out with books. So I mean, I've was, actually written books. She was wrong. No, she, she, well, she probably was right at the time, <laughs> but I learned how to write. Right. So sometimes you got to be careful when you get told these things. You can be discouraged. But you know what? Uh, she told you something that pushed you and elevated you to... Oh, it turned out okay. I mean, to... she's, I'm a cartoonist because of her. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not mad at her. Okay. Not at all. That's a good thing. Well, you know what? Mine is a little different. Uh, my parents used to tell me a lot. Love my father, love my mom. But my dad told me and mine is funny. He told me that if I ate watermelon and I swallowed a watermelon, that I would grow a watermelon inside me. Really? <laughs> he told me that at a, at a young age, and he was just plain, but I believed it. And I was telling you earlier, I believed it longer than I should. I believed that uh, I would grow a watermelon inside me uh, if I Did it swallowed ever happen? a seed. 
I actually have one watermelon. Her name is Jordan McAdoo. <laughs> well, we can ask Dr. Bush if that's true. Is that true, because Dr. Bush? I'm, I'm, she's shaking her head. No, 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 no. So we will we'll get that myth cleared up very quickly on that. Uh, I guess mine was about chewing gum. You know, don't swallow your chewing gum. It'll all build up inside your stomach. Well, you want to hear something funny? Speaking of chewing gum, mm-hmm. my mom used to always tell me, don't go to sleep with chewing gum. And this happened in Chicago. No Well, lie. that's like a no-brainer. You'll wake up with it in your it was, hair it and your was, ear. Mike, that's what I'm trying to say. I yeah. woke up and it was everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. You kind of had that one coming to you. I'm sorry. I mean, that's right up there with like a lit cigarette. That's she not a very bright so thing to mad. do. Uh, yesterday, Sunday, gosh, I hope y'all had a good weekend. I went to church. The air conditioning was out. Oh, my. I mean, I'm scared straight now because I know how, how hot Hades is going to be. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting there going, okay, if this sermon lasts more than about three minutes, I'm going to burst into flames, which would be a bad thing in the middle of church. It not was good. so hot. Not good. But, you know, I've decided that complaining about the humidity in Mississippi is, sounds a bit like this. That water's too wet. I can't believe that sugar is sweet. I'm shocked that the sun came up in the east. I'm stunned that pure grain alcohol would make me drunk. I mean, come on. It's always humid in Mississippi. It has been from the beginning. It will be till the end. But I tell you what, this morning was super special. Oh, it was what tough. What happened this morning? Well, I had my one-hour boot camp at 5 o'clock in the morning because oh, I'm wow. insane. Okay. Yeah, and, and I looked like Niagara Falls during the rainy season. Oh, my. I mean, I was sweating, and we were outside on the football field. I mean, it was just the humidity was like steamy dog breath. And what you know? time was this in the morning? Five. Five, and it was yeah. like 80 degrees already? It was 80 degrees, and it was just... <laughs> I mean, I was melting like the Wicked Witch at a water park. <laughs> that is how much I was. It was so hot. I'm melting. And we're, we're like 12 weeks into the boot camp. I mean, so I should be in shape at this point. I just looked at one of my roommates, I mean, one of my teammates, and I just said, um, why am I dying? <laughs> and it was basically the air was so thick. It was just incredible out there. And I tell you what, people are always like, why would you do that? Why would you go work out? And I tell you what happened this morning. I get up at 4. Okay. Right? So on the 4 a.m. wake-up club, mm-hmm. totally insane. First article, I you know, I pull up the phone. I'm reading what's going on in the world. There's a 47-year-old man goes hiking up in the Smokies on my favorite trail, the Alum Cave Trail. Okay. If anybody knows Mount LeConte, that's the trail. Has a heart attack. Oh, my. Dies three miles into it. How old was he? He was two years younger than me. Oh. 47. Goodness. So, and people say, why do you do it? And I said, the bottom line is, I have a 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, he needs dad. And you want to be a lot. You want to be around and watch them grow up, right? You know, watch their weddings, all their milestones, all, everything. You want to be around for your kids. Yeah, just, now, okay, let's do me. the math here. I mean, I really kind of hope my ten-year-old doesn't get married like in the next year or so. <laughs> so that's a long time off. I hope. And you know, you inspired me. Like I said, my daughter's thirteen, and you think about it, you have to stay healthy. You're living for other people. You're not just living for yourself. You're living for your children. Yes. For your children. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's right. Because I, I, I work for my children too. Come to think of it, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's all you know, it's all good. You know, my initials are ATM. <laughs> so exactly. It's no problem. Automatically, their money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. A <laughs> uh, few things on going. I, you're not a Game of Thrones person. Do you? Okay, I'm, I think, I, I'm a power person. I'm sorry. I love power, but Game of Thrones. I've heard it's very. Good. I just. It, I've never gotten into it, I guess, just because I'm too tight and cheap to get HBO. I'm not sure how that goes. Uh, but everybody was talking about it last night, and Ed Sheeran, who's a pop singer. Yes, I love right, him. Yeah, I love very, him. very talented man, just randomly shows up in the middle of it and singing a song. In the middle of the Game of Thrones. Game of Th- this that, Sunday? That would be, yeah, last night. That's a what? bit off-putting, you know? <laughs> Like I said, you're like in the total Game of Thrones universe, and there's right. Ed Sheeran. It's like, okay. wow, okay. How do you fit in that era? Is that not really weird? Seriously, when you're watching a movie and like an actor that you really familiar, you're totally into it, and suddenly, I remember Ted Danson popped up one time, and that was just nuts. 
and it was like, oh my gosh, Ted Danson's in the middle of Saving Private Ryan. How did he get back to World War II? I mean, it was it was nuts. So I mean, that would have been a little bit weird. Doctor Who's now a female. Yes, yes. After fifty four years. Yay, ladies, and, female power. Yeah, but but Twitter went wild on it. You know, all these people who never watched a show before in their life suddenly have an opinion about Doctor Who's gender. Well, you know what though? Look how the trend is coming. Wonder Woman, and now we have the 007 character is a woman now. Well, in that movie, movie, that movie, it's not. Well, she's well, not technically 007. 007. But they're there. If you read, have you seen the commercial? They're yes. talk, they say that they she's the new. Yeah, as in, yeah. well, they're doing it like in air quotes. <laughs> I mean, it's not a James Bond movie. No, it's but, not. Right. Wait, wait, wait. You sound a little. Uh, what are you saying here? We can't have a female. No, I'm just saying that's not a James Bond movie. <laughs> okay. So, but it was. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the name? The, 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 Atomic Tom, Blonde. Atomic Blonde. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I went out with her one time. <laughs> I just remember. I just remember getting beat up like that. Then so, you, you know, woke up. You woke up. No, <laughs> no, I didn't. I was out for at least a week. It knocked me cold. War on the Planet of the Apes was. On. You know, the, and I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I um, my son saw it. Loved it. Really? Uh, yeah. And the first two were fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, you never get a trilogy unless it's like Star Wars. Right. That's good. All three movies. You usually get like one or two that are good. And then the third one's like. Uh, this one, I think, I saw the previews when I went yeah. to a movie. You know, you see the real deep previews at the movie theater. Right. I was so amped. I could not wait. And I didn't get to see it this weekend. But I think next weekend or the next two weekends, I'm going to check this one out. Because I love the whole Planet of the Apes series. The, the You know, I love them. So, they are good. I'm excited. And Woody Harrelson's in it. So, you know. Well, of course. I love, I love you him. Know, he's going to be in the new Han Solo movie, too. What? So, yeah, Woody, you know. For, he's working. He is. He's Good working, for him, yeah. Game right. of Thrones, <laughs> Cheers. You know, the guy's all over the place. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm a big Twitter guy. I use okay. a lot of Twitter. Uh, Ann Coulter just did something really bizarre. She apparently got bumped out of her seat. She'd spent 30 bucks to get an extra seat. Oh, my goodness. And she went to war with Delta. On it, and so like actually posting photographs of the people sitting in the seats and everything else, it was bizarre. And Delta just comes back and runs smack with her, saying that you know this was unnecessary and everything else. And let me give you a pro tip here: as somebody who's taught social media, don't take your personal grievances to social media, right? Right, because it really it makes you look tiny. It does. It well, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe our listeners can help us out. Sometimes, not personal grievances, but sometimes if you go public with certain things, and it, 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 it ignites change. You know, sometimes. If she had gotten drug off the airplane, right. that might have been one thing. But, you know, everybody gets bumped. I'm flying. It's, it, I used to, when I was a kid, the first time I flew, mm-hmm. this was, the Wright brothers were flying the plane. So this is how long ago it was. <laughs> I actually, believe it or not, had a little suit on. I was six years old, and I was flying from Knoxville, Tennessee to Atlanta, which uh-huh. is about a 13-second flight. Okay. Wheels go up, wheels go down, you're on the ground. <laughs> but, I, you know, I was all dressed up and everything now. It's like riding a cattle car. It really is. Right? I'm flying now. And, I mean, 9-11 didn't help because now right. you got to do the security. Oh and you got you know, Everything. It takes, what, an hour or maybe two hours before your flight. You Depending to, what airport, right, yeah. get and, there. And on top of that, you don't have the people greeting you at the gate anymore. That was always the coolest thing. You had a long trip. You were tired. You get back, and there was your family waiting at the gate. Right. You know, I kind of miss that. Now they're at the end of security. So, yeah. I mean, that's okay, too. <laughs> but this was just bizarre watching. And then she was like, today, she tweeted out how she used $10,000 worth of her time. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, when you book a flight and when you fly, like you said, she should know that that's, that could happen. It yeah. can happen to anybody. Oh, don't blame That's, her for being mad. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, get upset, but that wasn't, like you said, this detrimental, uh, they drug me off the plane or, you know, they kicked me off. I mean, it's hard to pull major. for an airline. And I think Twitter was pulling for the airline after that one. Yeah, it was bizarre. Were. So it was definitely. Weird. It was weird. Well, we so, got a great show ahead yeah. of us today. And for, oh, by the way, I, 
forgot to add that there are actually people are now registering for school. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, I saw Jackson Public Schools was doing that. But that just, my wife's got um, first teacher work day tomorrow. Really? And see, you know, it's you like think it's about. July. Exactly. But you know what? It's not. In, in the teacher's mind, no. it is actually two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, August 8th is when Jackson Public School starts. And registration this year is. Yeah. It started already last week. And get this, ladies and gentlemen, it's online. So you go to your school, you get what you need, you get this passcode, and you have to go online. But my question was, what if people don't have computers? What if they're not computer savvy? You know, right. the grandma that's taking care of her four grandkids, she's not really computer savvy. So I said, uh, what can they do for those pa- parents? You know, they have computers at the schools, and I hope they have people to help the grandparent at the computer to actually maneuver through the site and register their grandkids or whatever you i think JS, jps is doing a good job they're trying to do something you know new and improved but sometimes i feel that it's just not it's it's not always uh useful for everyone you know what i'm saying well i remember a few years ago they said if you could register for i think medicaid using the web so i had a person sitting on a porch looking up at a spider web Wondering if that's how they could register, you know, because it, oh. it, it was what it was. All right. Well, after the break, we're going to bring onto the show Dr. Frida Bush. Looking forward to talking to her. Actually, it's kind of cool because we've already had people coming in the studio. You delivered my baby. That is cool. That is cool. She, she's like a rock star. So it's nice to have her in the studio. And you can still call at any time to share your thoughts on her question of the day. What do you remember about being told as a teen that you found out was totally true or untrue? You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. You can send up smoke signals. You could mail a letter. You can send a pigeon. We want to hear from you. And this is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Happy Monday. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you for listening to the show. Of course, we would be nothing without you and always glad to hear from you. Now, we'd like to invite onto the show Dr. Frida Bush. Dr. Bush, it's very nice to see you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I tell you, we um, oh, just spent an old home week just talking about things. And it was uh, really, really cool when people were stopping in saying, you delivered my baby. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when they are 1987 babies. I know it. And just while we're talking about that, because, you know, I remember the moment when we delivered my three boys, which I had absolutely very little to nothing to do with. I will be, I I was just Yeah, you contributed a lot. Oh, I did. A moral support, if nothing else. How about your chromosomes? Well, then there's that, too. No, I mean, and also raising them, too, I think is very big. But that day, you know, on the day, it was just basically like, stay out of the way. Uh, but I will never forget those three moments, most powerful ever. So it's kind of neat. You know, Deborah comes in, who was who said, she's 1987. I mean, to her, that was like today. Mm-hmm. And how many now, How many babies do you think you've delivered? I did not keep track. I hate to admit it, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure it's in the thousands. Isn't amazing. Yeah. I started delivering uh, in 1967. Really? And so I've been in this health profession did you start delivering babies like when you were three? I mean, because you're pretty young. Pretty well, young thank you very much. Oh, no However, uh, yeah. no, I was not three. Okay. Yeah, medical school probably took up a couple of years anyway. Actually, I was a nurse and then a nurse midwife, certified nurse midwife, uh-huh. and then I went to medical school. Did you really? 
I wow. enjoyed what I was doing in the nursing profession so much yeah. that I wanted to do more and handle some of the complications that I would have to turf to the doctors. Yeah. And so uh, it was actually my husband's idea that why don't you just become a doctor? Really? You're this close. Let's go yeah. ahead and, and finish the deal. And when you're when you're that passionate about something, it makes all the hard work a lot easier, doesn't it? I promise you, I believe that is my calling in life. Yeah. To work with women, especially in the sexual health era, yeah, and um, work with their children, helping them to do um, great parenting. I tell you, and I, I, I'm a parent, and and so I'm just sitting there thinking to my wife, and I'm talking about this the other day. Our kids are faced with things that we never had to. I mean, I'm sitting here holding up my phone right now. Okay, I mean, they get the whole world right here can bombard them with that, and they can get the education from their friends on the bus and whatever everything else. But I mean, kids now today, raising them is so much more difficult, isn't it? Well, I'll add that parents are the first teacher and should not abdicate their responsibility as the young people get older. Amen. And. I love the idea of a smartphone, but some of these phones are not real smart. Ah, <laughs> uh, you need to monitor what they Amen. expose to. Amen. Tell us about your book, Hooked: um, New Science on How Casual Sex Is Affecting Our Children and Girls Uncovered. This book. Well, I'll start with Hook. Yeah. Hook was the first book that we did, and it was basically emphasizing the fact that the brain is so vitally important. What we think, what we do. And it is the primary area that counters or that lends to what we do, period. Mm -hmm. And so as a man thinketh, so is he, the Bible says. Well, you have to make sure you know what you're thinking. And because of all the neurons and all of the hormones that are in there, and the hormones in particular, it's like when I went to a middle school and I was explaining how sex affected the body. And how the brain affected sex. One of the young guys raised his hand and he said, I didn't know the brain had anything to do with sex, you know, or sex had anything to do with the brain. And I'm thinking you and a lot of other young folks didn't know that either. But it really does. Our hormones, uh, what makes us excited, all of that is centralized in the brain. And the important thing is that the brain is not fully mature until the mid-20s. So, as I say, you make better decisions in your mid-20s than you do at 15, and that's when your sex drive usually is kicking in. And so um, we try to emphasize the fact that you can, or as my father used to say, you're growing, but you're not grown. Right. And so if you look to your parents... And that's why we try to educate parents a lot. They can help guide you through some of the landmines so that you can avoid it. Yeah, as a parent, I mean, sometimes I mean, I've talked to some of my friends. They're like, oh, this is embarrassing. No, you got to get past that. You, you do. You really do. And you can't just go by what you did as a teenager because nobody probably taught you. Right. But you have to be smarter because you say, now I have learned a few things. My mom used to say, I was at the bus station when you got off the bus. Oh. And so she had a right to be teaching us and helping us. I like that. And that's why I encourage parents to get the book, read the book, so that you will know and not necessarily go by some of the old wives' tales or other things that you've heard. Right. Um, <clears throat> rental car companies mm-hmm. do not rent their cars to anyone under age 25. That's right. And the reason is when we inquired was 
they said that there's too much damage that is done to their cars before the age of 25. So that's what I mean. You're growing, but you're not grown. And you need parents. The parents are your friend. They're not your enemy. And you need parents to help you navigate through those years where you're learning how to think cognitively, cause and effect, and you're learning how to control your emotions. And that's a good thing because one day, hopefully, you'll be a parent, too, and you can pass that good information on to your children. I'm hoping to be a grown-up someday. Ah, (laughs) Well, I would tell you how old I am, but I'm still growing. (laughs) That's right. Well, let me ask you this. Of course, obviously, if sexuality and and the brain are so tied together and kids are now being bombarded with so many images, both on television and movies and and on on their phones and everything else, does that affect their brain development also? What it affects, it's very stimulating. Yeah. And they need parents to help them kind of decipher right. what, they're seeing. what they're seeing and to understand it. Yeah. I say parents need to be informed, but young people need to recognize that parents really are not their friend, but right. they are their parents and they are a great resource. So the book Hooked was written not only for parents, um, not only for children young people, but also for parents. It's on a seventh grade level, so anybody should be able to read it. But we've got accurate scientific information in it. We've got um, stories that will help them to understand what it is that they're reading. And just to get to know that I can do and I will be able to succeed is very empowering. It's huge. When did you get interested? I mean, when did you realize this was something that needed to be done? Well, <clears throat> I hate to say it, but um, I'm the mother of four children. My husband and I have now been married 48 years. and Congratulations. Thank you. And as we were raising our children, um, he got an opportunity to speak and to teach young boys in the middle school, Rowan Middle School, about sex. And as he said, one of his reasons for doing it was because he had three girls and who knows, some of those guys might end up marrying one of his That's daughters. That's a good point, yeah. And so in his in his process of growing, um, I became involved in teaching sex education. And I learned so much that I, as a physician, did not know. It wasn't taught in medical school. And so I began to work with the Medical Institute for Sexual Health, which is Mm -hmm. an organization out of Austin, Texas. And the whole purpose was to provide science-based education to inform young people, but their parents being the primary teacher. What are some myths that that you'd like to debunk? Uh, (laughs) Ah, well... Well, the watermelon seed would be the first one. Okay. Yeah. Michelle, I don't know where she came up with that one, but... Well, I know where she did, her mom, obviously. And I can tell you one that I heard just recently was that you can't get pregnant if you have sex in a swimming pool because the chlorine will kill it. Okay. Right. That is a myth. No, that is not. That is not accurate. Um, There are just a number of them out there. You know, if you, um, well, my mama told me, keep your dress down and your bloomers up. That doesn't work either. Right. (laughs) Yeah, don't keep your knees together. That doesn't work. Yeah. And I've had uh, young I've delivered at least three virgins in my practice. Have you really? Who um, didn't do it. We didn't do anything. Right. But even the semen, when it seeps out in your in a s- excited way, the young woman has fluid. Right. And the man and that 
sperm knows where to go. Right. It does not need a map. The vagina was never penetrated, but the sperm still got out there. You know, it's really important, too, and I think just hearing you talk that we need to strip away the, the any kind of embarrassment whatsoever. You hear those terms. Those are medical terms. Those are things that need to be said because when you're teaching it, you don't need to, like, put cute names or anything else. You just call it. It's just medicine, and it's, it's mm-hmm. your body and it's your health, and you need to teach it straight up, don't you? You really do. I had a young lady who was... Uh, 14, brought in by her mom because she just found out she was sexually active. Yeah. And then I separated the mom so that I could talk with the young lady by herself initially. And I found out that she had started having sex when she was 12. But I only have sex with my boyfriend, she said. And I'm saying, how many boyfriends have you had? She's had 12. So in two years, she's had 12 different boyfriends. And I'm going, play it forward. Do the math. Right. How many different potential STDs have you been exposed to? The potential for sex, I mean, for pregnancy. So helping her to understand what her body was for and how her body and her mind work together. They're not separate entities, but also helping the mother, empowering the mother to not just bring your daughter to me to talk to her. So you you being the grown-up. You being the grown-up. Right, right. That's huge. Well, speaking of parents, what, I mean, what else do they need to know about this topic? Obviously, getting the book probably would be a good thing, to, good place to start. Yeah, we have the other book, Girls Uncovered. Yeah. It really talks more about how America's culture has sexualized our young people. Yeah. Now, um, and so we try to emphasize things such as consequences, STDs, which we didn't cover in the book, Hook. We were just talking about the brain, the maturation, and the hormones. Right. But in this book, we go into what is it that you're exposed to and how can we help you to understand those critical issues like STDs, like condoms, like uh, birth control, and even interaction, finding other things to get your excitement and get your pleasure without being sexually involved. How about getting good grades? You know, you can get an A. Matter of fact, the CDC put out a study that showed A is for abstinence Mm -hmm. because they found that young people who were abstinent usually made higher grades than those who were sexually active. And so that's what we try to emphasize, finding those wholesome things that can get you that same dopamine high that makes you feel good. And that's right there. You talk about the brain. Dopamine's a big part of it, isn't it? Absolutely. It really is. And so you whether you get the rush from running a football or right. whether you get the rush from, you know, playing a, another game or getting an A, let's find more wholesome things to get that rush and not be concerned about sex. And I do want to throw in uh, sure. concerned about pornography. Yeah. It is really growing rapidly in the young people, especially now that we've got the smartphones, right. we've got the iPads and all of these things. And the younger you are, when you begin to look at those figures... That'll rewire your brain. Absolutely. Yeah. And it really makes you so that you're not concerned about the person that you're in relationship with. Right. You're concerned about your pleasure. And yeah. as some people say, eventually your hand becomes your best friend. Right. Because you don't have to have a person. But when you're ready for a relationship... You have wired your brain to accept the stimulation in that respect. And so 
you're not able to, a lot of times to even get an erection, the young men. Mm. And they end up objectifying young women instead of having a true relationship. Right. That is mutually respectful. Definitely. Well, what's next for you next? And, and how can folks get in touch with you? Oh, well, right now I'm working more with the Medical Institute for Sexual Health mm-hmm. out of Austin, Texas. And we have a Building Family Connections um, workshop, a two and a half day training that we'll be bringing here to Jackson. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm really excited about that because we feel like the parents should be the first teacher. And so. We want to educate educators to educate parents right. so that they can inform and learn how to love their children in a very positive way. It was kind of like the, the child um, classes that we took before the babies are born. That is correct. It's kind of important. It's kind know, of- it, it really is. And so this session is going to be um, here in Jackson at the, ooh, let's see. It's here in Jackson. I'll put it. Okay. I'll get it oh, on your website. Okay, very good. Do you have a, a, a website or anything? People? Actually, if you go to the Medical Institute for Sexual Health uh, and go to the store, then you can see Building Family Connections Training Jackson, Mississippi, and it's going to be August 16th through the 18th. Very good. So it's going to be here. Well, I sure appreciate you coming in today. It's good to see you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share this information and. I think parents just need to learn to be parents, and this is what we're trying to do, provide them with information that will help them do it without all the sweating and concern. I mean, I look at my oldest son, great kid, thank goodness he had a good mama, but I'm I'm wondering, it's amazing he turned out okay with me as a father, because I didn't really figure out what I was doing by the time I got to the third one, so uh, it's pretty amazing uh, what you learn and everything else, but I do appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll speak with Neil Woodall, and feel free to tell us what you're reading this week as well. Hey, plus, don't forget about our question of the day. What do you remember being told as a teen that you found out was totally true or untrue? Call us at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. Do appreciate Dr. Frieda Bush being on with us as well. By the way, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. 2017 Opioid and Heroin Mississippi Drug Summit is going to be going on. Um, a lot of, a lot of. I mean, you probably see this in the news every day. There's an opioid epidemic. It is very frightening. Uh, th- the drugs are getting stronger and stronger, and now people are taking it and dying. And it's just incredibly powerful. And if anybody's ever, well, I tell you what, we're going to bring in our next guest because he's a he's a man, I, honestly, that I respect very deeply because I've gotten to know him on a personal level and know his story, and I now know where he is in life, and I know he has the most beautiful little girl in the world. Neil, it is so good to talk to you. Neil Woodall is with us. He's a trainer, 
a businessman, a father, and a opioid survivor, I guess would be a nice way of putting it. Can y'all hear me now? Yeah, well, I can hear you great awesome. now. I was, awesome, man. I mean, awesome. I, I missed you. You know, I was just so excited to talk to you, and I couldn't hear your voice. <laughs> Neil. I'll tell you what, man. I think that it kind of worked out perfectly because it was kind of a perfect segue, just what you were talking about with, with everything, um, talking about it from a medical standpoint. Right. Lord knows that that is uh, run rampant. And, man, when you talk, when I thought, when you started speaking on the summit i i had an understanding of how bad this epidemic was i just had no clue how bad it's truly become and how many people are dying out there from this thing it's amazing i was saw a report out of ohio which is kind of the epicenter of it although mississippi unfortunately is catching up with it quickly there are people that this they now are mixing another type of drug in with it and you can literally die the first time you take it right yeah fentanyl it's fentanyl. kind of the uh I guess it's kind of the, the drug dealer's way of stepping on the drug and uh, being able to supply more of it. But, yeah, people, I mean, you see you're seeing younger and younger folks going out. First off, you're seeing more and more younger and younger folks getting addicted at such an earlier age. And I think that it's a direct result of the pain, pain medication epidemic. And then eventually they just graduate straight to the heroin. And then, I mean, within the first month of using heroin, a lot of these kids are dying yeah. as a direct result of them mixing the fentanyl with it. So. Well, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it is nuts. And Neil, of course, well, I want you to tell your story. But one of the things about it, this, and I think one of the reasons there's a root cause to it, more than just, of course, the drugs are very addictive. That's obviously part of the problem. But it's like everybody now is trying to self-medicate one way or the other. And there's there's a pain component to this, too, that there's like a hole that needs to be filled up, isn't there? There really is. And, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts with this thing because you can't point directly. I mean, we could easily put, point directly to medical community we could point to insurance we could point to a lot of different things but there's a deeper issue at hand here right. i think that it has a lot to do with the, to what you're speaking with and that that's in regard to you know kids just not feeling that connection anymore it's, it's just that lack of connection with with other human beings i'm a strong believer that you know social media is great but i think that that has also created this disconnect with with kids and they don't get that human element and that right. human interaction and um there's a lot of just a lot of different parts that 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 play into it, and like you like you just discussed, as far as with your own medical diagnosis and taking the medication for other reasons, that's what starts to happen. It starts; yeah. to, they start to take it for it gets prescribed for this specific physical pain, but then that that light goes off in their head. Hey, this makes me feel good mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I start to feel better, and kids are starting to, to rely and lean more on that type of thing. We're talking with Neil Woodall, and I mean, incredible story. Uh, and on top of that, he's now coaching and helping a lot of other people. I mean, you managed to turn literally turn a lemon into some really sweet lemonade. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so uh, as far as I, I'm from, I'm actually from Louisiana. I'm from uh, Covington, Louisiana. But I went to, to Millsaps in Jackson, so I'll, I'll start out there. Um, when I was a freshman in college, we went on an annual, my dad had an annual hunting trip that we go on each year in January. We've been doing it for I don't know, 15, 15 years or so. And uh, it just so happened on this, this fateful day that we were out in the field hunting quail, and uh, my dad actually shot me in hunting accident from about 25 yards away. Wow. Freak accident. Uh, like I said, we've been doing it for years, and just just right out of his blind spot. A lot of, lot of different elements that, that were in play there that caused the accident. But anyways, I was rushed to the hospital, local hospital there, which is about the size of, you know, 1,200-foot square bedroom. Um, real small place, and then first thing they do is they cut off all my clothes, and they get me hooked up to the morphine drip. And um, I don't think that it was initially when I started getting the morphine, but it was more later on when I started using it for for breakthrough pain. When you have the, I know you that little clicker 
whenever you, they, they give you it and they give you the drip. Yeah. I started using that. And I think that was kind of my first discovery with that feeling of, ah, I just feel good. It's just that overall sense of everything's okay. There's not a worry in the world, not a care in the world. The physical pain's gone. The mental anguish, all those things were just had released. But um, that's kind of where my story started. Um, obviously, there was things that played into it prior to that. Um, I'm not going to say that just that moment was when I became an addict because I think there's elements that played into it prior to that, whether it was teenage years of, of starting to drink early on, teenage years. And, and Dr. Bush was, was kind of touching on these things. When you have it fully developed and you start to mix in these numbing chemicals into your body, your body starts to kind of attach to it. And it, it completely changes the wiring of your brain. And it says, okay, I no longer need the things like endorphins, different things like that, dopamine that's produced naturally. I can get it from an artificial substance. And so I think that my, or I know for a fact that I started, you know, just like a lot of kids do, but something that um, somebody had touched on is that, you know, when you, if you have an addict in the family, and it doesn't have to be a direct addict. It, can be, it doesn't have to be a, a mother or father. It can be somebody up the chain, grandfather, grandmother, that you're more 40 times more likely to become an addict if you start in the earlier ages of drinking and starting to experiment with other things. And I think that that's kind of where where it started for me. Right. But, um, again, like when I discovered the, the pain medication, that was just kind of that aha moment where this is just that feeling of, of there's not a single worry in the world. Did you have um, to hit rock, rock, rock bottom before you dis- discovered you had a problem? You know, there was, there was so many times before that where I was, I guess you could call it delusional. I could say it was denial, but it was more delusional where I convinced myself that I could nip this thing in the butt on my own and that by sheer willpower, because I grew up as an athlete, you know, played college football, played baseball, played all sports growing up, and um, was taught that, you know, by willpower, you can pretty much accomplish anything. And this was the one thing that no matter how much I willed it, no, much, no matter all the strategies that I tried to come up with, I could not figure it out. So I guess rock bottom for me, you know, this is, like, rock bottom is different for everybody. But, right. yeah, I'd say that it was my rock bottom, my rock bottom that I hit that ultimately led to me finally opening myself up and asking for help. That's hard. I mean, it really is hard to admit that you've got a problem. It is. It's, uh, I'll tell you what, it was the hardest thing getting to that point. But once I got to that point, it was one of the most freeing, I guess you would just call one of the most freeing experiences of my life. Yeah. Just to finally put it out there and take that burden of, of guilt and shame and self-hatred off your shoulders. To finally put it out there and say, hey, look, I've got, an, I've got something that I can't figure out. I've tried everything in my willpower to figure it out, and there's there's nowhere else to turn. And there's just something so powerful about doing that. Tell us a little bit about how you did that, because there's a lot of people listening right now that are probably where you were. They're thinking, I really need help. What do I need to do? Right. You know, and uh, I think there's such a stigma attached with addiction still to this day that addicts are these people that live under a bridge or that are homeless or, you know, and sure, there are plenty of those people out there, but there's a lot of people that are walking amongst us, people yeah. that are out in our communities, people that we probably know who are struggling with this thing. And that was, um, I guess you could say that was my case. You know, on the outside, I painted a pretty picture, had a lot of good things going for me, great job, you know, nice house, all, all those things. But internally, I was crumbling. And, and also, there's a lot of internal issues that were going on where my life was just basically unraveling at the seams. Um, so I started facing a lot of different things, whether it was relation, uh, marital issues, uh, you know, missing, missing days on work, um, you know, missing appointments, different things like that. But it started to snowball and just started getting out of control, out of control. And, and I just 
sat back and was like, man, I got to a place where when I try to shave in the mirror in the morning to go to work, I just I couldn't even look at myself. I, I just hated myself so much that um, I, I just started shower, shaving in the shower because I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. Um, then I finally got to a place where things had just gotten bad enough for me. And again, I guess everybody's rock bottom is different, but for me, it was it was a certain place. And uh, I tried everything in my willpower to do it, and and finally reached out and and reached out to my family and told my folks. I sat them down and said, "Hey, look," and I had to look them right in the eyes. And I think it was the first time that I I was a man, a true man, in a yeah. long time where I could sit there and look them in the eyes and say, "You know what? I've got a problem." And they were there. They were there to help me through the process. They were there and, and, and loving and caring and so much more accepting than I could have ever imagined because. I went into this thing and had it so built up in my head that asking for help, all of a sudden people are going to be, you know, shamed of me and start saying all these horrible things to me. I can't believe that you did that. But realistically, whenever you open yourself up, love pours in, and that's that's what heals is love. Exactly. I, I heard one person describe it as that you're always trying to fill up a God-shaped hole in your heart when you have an addiction. And, and, and that's, that's the funny thing is because, and I think that that was a part that I struggled with because I grew up, faith-based, you know, grew up yeah. with a good, good religious upbringing, but there's a huge difference between having faith and saying that there is a God and actually having a working relationship with God and yeah. actually a connection with God where you're praying and you're feeling the power of God. And, and so just like you said, I was, I was using all of those things to try to fill that, that, that spot that was always meant for God. And so all that sense of relief that I was seeking, all those good feelings that I was seeking from other substances, that's all been filled and then some by by reaching out and seeking God. Yeah. And and you, you, you're you doing something else, too. And there's one thing I just know from personal experience working with you is that you have you're paying your blessing forward. I mean, you're you're actually and I hate to keep using cliched terms, but you truly are doing that. You're helping other people find healing as well. And that that in a way has been very healing for you, too, hasn't it? A hundred percent. You know, there's a there's a saying, you know, I can't, I can't keep it unless I'm willing to give it away. And that's that's the way that I look at it, because the more that I, I give it away and I try to help others, the more that I put myself out there, it's it's almost a, uh, I hate to say it, but it's almost a selfishly selfless act, because I know that by putting myself out there and making myself vulnerable and putting myself out to help others, because it actually it actually does help me. But realistically, it's, it's taught me just the love for people, you know, a love of people and being being selfless and and basically what we're all called here to do you know to help others and if i didn't use this experience the the things that i went through to help somebody else then there's no telling where i'd be today it's it's something that and the amazing thing is is that you know so many people look back on the things that they did when they're in active addiction um and they look back and they say man you know i I can never share this with somebody else i can never speak on this but realistically those same things that we're the most ashamed of end up being the greatest gifts that we can share with somebody else because there's somebody else that, that's been there, done that, and that's hurting and, w- and could really could really benefit from you sharing your story with them. And, you, I, you know, I don't even realize the people that I touch by sharing my story, and, that's, and, that's, and it's not about counting numbers for me. It's about, it's about putting it out there, and if somebody picks up on it, if it's just one person, then I did my job for the day. That's the way that I look at it. It, it's almost like, in of course, the 12-step program, but it's almost a day-to-day battle, isn't it? Do you ever worry about backsliding? You know, at this point, I don't, but, you know, like you said, with the 12-step program, it says in there it's a daily reprieve, you know, when I, when I wake up every day and I do the actions and, and, and work the steps. But I don't, I don't do it anymore for that. You know, I guess, I guess that's now the – it's always the primary purpose. Yeah. But it's become more secondary now because I never have these moments where I wake up and I'm, 
you know, Jones and to, to put some type of pain medication in my body. I don't even think about it, to be honest with you. Now it's more along the lines of I've grown into to trying to grow spiritually and trying to help others. And that's, that's the things, those are the needs that I feel like throughout my entire life that I was never hitting on. I was so consumed with, with self and so consumed with getting what I wanted out of life, whether it was the next nice house, nice, you know, next financial situation, next raise. I was so consumed with those things that, you know, somebody else, I never really considered other people, but by putting myself out there, that's where growth happens. Contribution, growth, those are, those are the human needs that I was not hitting on prior to getting into recovery. It sounds like you're getting, like Dr. Bush said, your dopamine in other better ways. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, I see it. There's so many dangers with it now, with dopamine. And I think that, you know, y'all were touch, touching on the aspect of, of smartphones. I think smartphones, there's, a, there's, there's certainly a dopamine that's released when, you know, you put a post out there, you put a selfie out there, and somebody likes your selfie, dopamine's released. And I'm seeing... It's like a slot machine. It is. And it, you're seeing... These kids, younger and younger, obviously, they're turning to addiction quicker, but also you're seeing a lot of them not as driven because dopamine is the goal-setting goal, goal setting, uh, hormone. And you no longer have to set goals because, you know, that you don't, you don't get that sense of achievement. You can just, you just got, you got basically have drugs sitting right in the palm of your hand. When you look at that phone, that gives you that sense of dopamine right then and there. And once you get those, you know, 45 likes for the selfie you took two minutes ago. Well, Neil, I appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us. It's always good to hear from you. I miss you. I really do. I mean, of course, you, you moved back to Louisiana uh, to go become a dad, in which I'm really proud of you for that because y'all have just got absolutely gorgeous little girl. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that, that was part of it. And also, uh, you know, wanted to start a business and, and bring, you know, just like you talked about, pay it forward out here. And that's, that's another thing I want. that was very near and dear to my heart that I felt like God was calling me to do. Well, he definitely has touched you, and I appreciate you just talking to you. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yes, sir, Marshall. You have a good one, my friend. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and I'm just going to touch on my book feature of the week, Growing Weeders into Leaders. It's by Jeff McManus, old Mrs. Jeff McManus as well. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Thank you for listening. It's been a great show so far. I want to touch on one more thing about Neil. And, of course, uh, I worked out. He used to be one of the coaches at the boot camp I worked out with. But Neil conquered a very tough drug to beat and he did it because he didn't just try to quit the drug he managed to work on what was causing and driving him to take that drug in the first place and as you heard by his story um and it's had an incredible outcome and he's just an inspiration anybody knows him and i'm glad to have him on the show as well somebody we're gonna get on the show soon is jeffrey mcmanus and jeffrey if you ever go up to old miss go to oxford they have been ranked as the number one most beautiful campus in the United States of America. And it's obviously, you understand why when you go up there. It looks like college. They really have done a nice job. There's a lot of beautiful campuses in this state, trust me. Ole Miss has done a great job. And, of course, Jeffrey has been there for many years. And he's now written a book called Growing Weeders into Leaders. It's a leadership lessons from the ground level. You know, one of the things about the good book is a lot of the metaphors and the analogies and 
the parables are all based on agriculture. Of course, a lot of it in his book is as well because that's what he knows. He knows how to grow plants, but he also knows how to grow people. And he created, in the book, tells you how to do it, how he created a culture around his, you know, making sure Ole Miss looks nice. Okay, but they did it in ways of growing up people and empowering people. And it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Look forward to having him on. So we will talk about that soon. So anyway, the book, once again, is Growing Weeders into Leaders. That is my book. It's not a, it's a quick read. It really is. And it's one that you're going to walk away with and you're going to say, you know what? This is pretty good, Marshall. I, I agree. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And I want, now you're talking as a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded by the generous contributions of listeners like you. And the show was produced by Michelle McAdoo. Thank you, Michelle. If you'd like to hear the show again, visit mpbonline.org. Now you're talking or download the free MPB Public Radio app. Southern Remedy is coming up next, and be sure to listen for Money Talks tomorrow morning at 9, in legal terms tomorrow morning at 10, and join us next time for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio.